Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have made us your children. You have washed us in the blood of your son, Jesus, and filled us with your spirit. That yes, with Jesus, we will reign as we worship you forever in perfection around your throne. And as we look at your word and the images there, give us a a glimpse of that, but give us the hope in our heart that comes from knowing you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible can be told as a story of three trees. So there's a lot of ways to, uh, in some ways, put themes to the Bible and talk about it and, and stories of what God has done and creation and all these things. Yes, yes, yes. One of those, which I think works pretty well and is maybe about as simple as you can get, involves three trees. And there's a tree at the beginning of the Bible in the first page, pages. There's a tree in the middle of the Bible, two-thirds. And then there's a tree at the very end of the Bible, very last couple chapters. That's the one we're looking at today. So most of our time will be talked about that one, but there's two others, and just those alone really tell the story, the story of the Bible, which I think is the story of the world, what God is doing, what God has done, what God will do, and I think living in that story is absolutely good news. So let's start at the tree of the beginning. Well, hold on to that. I'll take a detour to get to that. This week, and every week, and every day, but especially this week, we have reminders about that tree and and what it means and what it represents and what happened there and and everything that goes on after. You see, this week, uh, we had another reminder in our society, in our country, of uh, a basic problem that many, maybe all would agree to, that something is wrong in general in the world, right? Something is wrong that causes people to do hateful things and, and to be violent and to do all sorts of, of terrible things. And so this week, uh, obviously, we had the terrible reminder where uh, 19 children, two teachers were killed in, in school and 17 others wounded. And we look at that and look at many other things like that and say, man, what's wrong? Something's wrong. And start saying things like that. Many non-Christian and non-Christian would agree that something's wrong, right? In general, with people, with humanity, Right? And, and this, you know, incident, barely a week after a, a one in a, a grocery store involving uh, somebody motivated by racist hate. Or, uh, you know, scroll any news uh, outlet you like, and, and you'll hear updates of a war in Ukraine and uh, years-long war in, in Yemen, and not to mention uh, ongoing poverty and so many other things, right? I, I, I don't think this is a hard sell to many of you to say, yes, something is wrong with the world. Now, I think Christian and non-Christian might all be able to agree to that, but we probably wouldn't agree on the next couple things. One, why? What is the actual cause of of, uh, things going wrong in the world, and what will actually solve it? So we might not agree, or we might all agree that, yes, something's wrong, but then uh, what what exactly is wrong, and then what are... the specifics of how to solve it, we're probably not, that's, I think there's a Christian answer, and I believe that one, 
and, and I want you to, and that's what we're going to talk about with the three trees of the scriptures, but, but what is that? Well, first, I think uh, many would say, uh, and it might be you and it might not be you, and it might be people you know, many would say, okay, to the events uh, in Texas and, and other places, uh, some of you think, well, uh, if only politicians would pass uh, certain policies and specific things, uh, that, would, that would fix everything or at least go a long way. Uh, and okay, I'm, I'm not here to argue with that. I'm here to talk about Jesus, but that, that's you know, one solution. Uh, but then others of you would say, yeah, but also uh, every day, 10% of the world's population goes to bed hungry. And something needs to be done about that too. And 10% would mean uh, eight, uh, 811, I'd look at my notes, million people, which then would be uh, over two and a half times the population of the United States. And yes, some of you are involved in, in ways to, to help there and to care and, and to solve. And then some of you might have specific things, you know, if only uh, politicians would do this or, or churches or people would, would do this. And then others of you have, have pointed out to me that already this year, 250,000 babies have died by abortion. And you think that's unacceptable. And if only, you know, politicians would pass specific things or churches would act in a different way and people and communities would act in a different way, this would, would change. And, yeah, we could go on to, you know, literacy rates and disease and all these things. And, again, I don't have to do much here to, for you to probably agree that something is generally not right in the world. But are we more tempted to look outside and say, well, it's them, it's somebody else causing all the problems, not me. But first of all, the Christian answer is to look in the mirror and say, it is me. If there's something that I don't like out there, I think is truly wrong and evil out in the world, am I willing to look in the mirror and say, first, it's me. I am the problem, and I need to be rescued, and I need help first before I'm any good to help anyone else. And then what? See, some of us might think uh, the solution to everything is just better politics. If we had better politicians and better things, better, everything would be better. Now, sure, that would help something. Uh, but others might say, well, if we just had you know, a better education system with uh, better paid teachers and better uh, metrics, better this, then everything would fix itself. Or if we just had a better, more affordable health care, then people would be healthier and then happier, then, then they wouldn't you know, do mean bad things and everything would be fine. Or if we just had better uh, medicine or, or scientific discovery or better technology, or we could come up with all these things. And they're actually all good things to improve. And at every level of every year of life of the world, Christians have been involved in all these things, but they're not the ultimate thing. They're not the end. They're, they're not the final tree. They're not the end of all. They will help, and, and Christians are actively involved in God's world. But what what is really wrong, and what is going to be really right? Which another way to ask that is, what is the story that you and I are living in, and we keep telling ourselves and rehearsing and, and living our lives out? What is that story? If the story is something's wrong with the world, it's not me, it's you, or it's other people, and I'm going to fix it, then that will lead you to want to control all sorts of things out there, 
And every pe- other people are the problem and not you. And then if, if you disagree with me, then guess what? You're the problem, not me. But guess what? The first tree of the Bible tells us everything that is exactly wrong, but also gives us hope for how God's going to make it right. So the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 2, God creates which is like page two of mine. Well, there's you know, notes and stuff, so it's not exactly page two. But God creates Adam and Eve, forms them out of the ground, breathes life into them, and God created them perfectly. And then it says God planted a garden. Some of you, like my wife, get really excited to read this in the Bible. God plants a garden, and it flourishes, and everything's perfect. And God puts Adam and Eve in the garden, and there are, there's actually two trees in the garden. And they produce fruit and and wonderful. And God says to Adam, you can eat of any of these lush, beautiful things that I have planted and I have given to you and I have made grow. God has done everything for his people except this one. So there's the tree of life and there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve could eat from the tree of life. But the one God said, trust me. Do you trust me? I've created you in my image. We have a perfect relationship and, and communion. Would you just trust me to not eat this one? You know how the story goes. Adam and Eve just couldn't do the one thing because they wanted to be their own God, have their own destiny, and, and do their own thing. And, and when they go against God and break his ways, everything shatters. The perfect harmony with God no longer. A perfect relationship with each other. Perfect marriage shattered. Perfect world shattered. Everything breaks in a way that is still broken today. And so you just get to Genesis 3 then, page 3 in the Bible. Brothers are murdering each other. So that's, you know, not exactly new activity in the history of the world. It goes all the way back to... The first children, Genesis 3. But yet, as God built the the tree and said, uh, Adam and Eve, now you must leave the garden. They are banished from paradise. God still gave them a promise and said, I will come and crush the snake. I will will restore. I will make things new. I, I, I will... I will send a savior. And so as much as societies are broken and never work like they should and and nothing goes the way it should and and life is hard and there is pain and hatred and evil, God's promise still goes through everything. And what is God's promise? It's that one day he will come and fix everything that went wrong here. So that's the beginning, the, the first tree, the tree of life. It was supposed to give life and did. But then Adam and Eve get banished from that because they've broken God's word, God's command. They didn't trust God, which still asks of us. When, when it doesn't make sense, when God's will doesn't make sense, will, will we trust God's will and God's word that it's good even if I don't like it, even if I don't understand it? So that's the beginning tree, okay? That, the first tree. Now, now skip across the middle one to the end because that's what we're talking about today in the book of Revelation. So you go this whole story of the Bible, and yeah, there's some tree stuff in the middle of there that you can uh, do some digging Bible study on your own. But you get to the very end, and this tree of life appears again, which is really cool if you're reading the Bible. So you haven't seen it in a while, and then poof, you get to the end, Revelation 22, and suddenly, wait, I've heard of this tree before. I've, I've, this sounds familiar. This, 
This sounds like the Garden of Eden. This sounds like paradise being returned, and it is. So what happens? Revelation 22. I'm only going to read the first seven verses. I read the whole chapter earlier. So John's vision says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Remember a couple weeks ago, 21, I talked about the sea. The sea being a, a metaphor for all that is evil and wrong. The sea is gone, but there's the river of the water of life. Jesus calls himself living water, the water of life. Bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Jesus is always depicted as the Lamb in Revelation. Like we have up smack center of our artwork in the front. The Lamb who has slain it, who has begun his reign. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world but is now risen, reigning, and will return. Verse 2, the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city... So, eternity with Jesus gets described as, as a gar lush garden and a city and a party. Oh, you took the hat off, Scott. I'm, disapp I'm disappointed. A banquet, a city, all these wonderful images. And also on either side of the river, here it is, the tree of life. So, the tree of life at the end of time whenever Jesus returns. He doesn't tell us when that'll be, but he says it will happen and act like it's going to happen soon and be ready. The tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. Okay, we're going to pause there a little bit and unpack it. So what does that mean? Well, the tree of life re returns and God's people are going to eat from it and it's going to provide nourishment and healing. Well, if there's a tree that God has planted, that God's made, the tree of life, follow the imagery in, at the beginning in, in the Garden of Eden, and at the end, it's a garden that we didn't plant. God planted it. God made it grow. God grew the fruit, and the fruit of the tree of life is, as you'll see, for, for healing, Good, good food, good. Do you see God is saying, I've done everything for you. You are created in my image. I'm the one that has bought you back. Talk about that tree as well. And God saving you had nothing to do with you or me, but everything to do with God and his power. And even in God restoring and coming back, it's all God's work. The tree of life means the, the garden, perfect garden from the beginning, is restored. And God's going to plant a new one and, and going to cultivate it and make it grow and, and bring fruit. And how many kinds of fruit? Twelve. How many months are there? Well, in our calendar, there's twelve. Uh, in the Hebrew calendar, there's not, depending on the calendar you follow. So twelve actually has to do with something else. It has to do with God's people. Yeah, the twelve tribes. God's people in the Old Testament were twelve tribes. Twelve tribes. Uh, and then, sorry, in the New Testament, Jesus calls how many disciples? Twelve. That become, in some ways, the new Israel. And we are incorporated into that. Twelve tribes, twelve God's people by faith. So the twelve in Revelation means all people who trust in Jesus. All people. Nobody, nobody's excluded. Yes, the, the door may be narrow, but it's wide open with the crucified and risen arms of Jesus welcoming us in by faith. 
And so the tree has 12 kinds of fruit. That means that would represent all people of the world who trust in Jesus. And then what do the leaves do? I lo- this is probably my favorite phrase in all of this. I should be able to get a whole sermon out of it, but I probably can't. So only a few minutes. The tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So God's going to make a tree come back, the tree of life, and he's going to cultivate it and make fruit grow, and the leaves are going to heal. Nations uh, means all peoples of all places, of all ethnicities, all races, all, all languages, all across God's corner of the earth. It is a sign of reconciliation of all people. Doesn't that sound like good news? That's to me. The leaves of the tree of life are going to be for healing, not discord, not division, not arguments, but God wants all people to come together around the throne of Jesus and worship him. So at the beginning of the Bible, you have a tree, and that's where everything goes wrong. You have, at the end of the Bible, a tree of life where everything goes right again because Jesus will return, will come back. And guess what? That, that is our hope. Our ultimate hope isn't that I have the power to fix everything in the world. My hope is that Jesus will return and will end all evil, all injustice, all hatred, everything evil that's been done. God will somehow, when Jesus returns, uh, reverse all that, turn that back around, and somehow bring good where there was all this pain before. And now, we're still in the middle of that, though, right? We, we, we haven't got there. We hope for that. That gives us hope to, to live in God's world, fulfill our callings, and, and practice for that. But what's the tree in the middle? The cross. You see, God's restoration work has begun because Jesus died for you and for me on the tree of the cross, which is where Jesus said, it is finished. That is all evil paid for, all sin atoned for. Our, our hope is secure, and it's, it's begun, but it's not complete yet. And so while everything went wrong at the perfect tree in, at the beginning, Jesus started to make it all right on the cross. And yet we're still living in this in-between where, where we know the, the good news that Jesus lived and died and, and rose for you, but it's not fully here yet. We, we hope, and yet our hearts hurt. So then Jesus says, no longer, verse 3, will there be anything accursed. That's good news. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and their name on their foreheads. When we were baptized, I say you received the sign of the cross on your forehead and on your heart to mark you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. And it says, night will be no more. We will have no need or lamp or sun for the Lord will be your light. Verse 6, and he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And verse 7, Jesus said, behold, I am coming soon. Friends, we get to live in this hope. That yes, we get to live out our callings and serve and love as Jesus 
gives us the ability to, to and, and gives us relationship and places to do that. But we don't do it because we know that we're the ones in control and it's all up to us to fix what's wrong in the world. No, we know that God has all the answers and he is the one who will fix every wrong. And he will write it and we are living out his will and his kingdom, hoping and waiting for Jesus to come back. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, give us faith and hope that Jesus, you will return. The tree of life will come back. And it will bring healing and hope. And all evil will end and all good will reign forever. Give us that hope and comfort today as we live each day. In Jesus' name.